please help me out. I appreciate it. All right, so the last few weeks we have been talking about Greater. Greater is, is a, a book that was written by a pastor, uh, and it's a wonderful book. If you have not or are not reading it or do want to read it, I would highly recommend it. It's fantastic. But we are in our third week. First week we talked about Burn the Plows, and Burning the Plows, it, it follows the story of Elisha. And Elisha was a prophet who took over after the, the major prophet Elijah, and uh, it follows him in how Elijah gave him an opportunity at a greater life. And in order to have that opportunity for the greater life, for what God had called him to, he needed to burn his plows, which was his main way of living, and, and kill his cattle, which was to separate his social status. He gave up all for the call. And how God, when he calls us to do something, sometimes he requires us to burn our plows so that we don't go back. When we come to Jesus, we burn our plows. We don't go back to our old life. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to continue to live our life for Christ. And so that was week one. Second week was dig the ditches. Dig the ditches in our needs in our life where God requires us to have faith. And sometimes having that faith requires action that is uncomfortable for us. And so that was last week when we talked about how digging those ditches, God will fill them. Amen? So this week we're going to talk about, and this is where I want to land, and this is the theme, and I will say it over and over again. Your faith is never wasted. It is never, ever wasted. God wants to move in our lives in ways that we didn't even know that we needed. And so when I say that, I mean that whether you're in a place of life without any pressing needs or desperate, or you're in a, in a, in a desperation and you need a miracle, whether you're in that position or whether you're, you're like Elisha and you're just kind of plowing along, God desperately wants to do something amazing in your life, something greater. And there are greater things in the heart and mind of God for you. Our story this week where we're going to read from, uh, by the way, if you do not have a Bible, we have prepared for you. We want to bless you. So if you don't own a Bible, if you would raise your hand, our ushers have Bibles. We will hand you one. This is not for use for during the service. This is used for your life. You can take it and have it. It is yours. We want to bless you. So we prepared for you to be here today and prepared to bless you. So if you need a Bible, just shoot up your hand. Uh, the, the verses will be on the screen, of course so that you can follow along in your Bible or up on the screen, whatever you'd like to do. But we are in 2 Kings 4, verses 8 through 10, and uh, once again, following the story of Elisha. And the verse starts off and says, One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. So let me unpack this for a second. She was a well-to-do woman. They don't even give us her name. She was from Shunem, and she's even referred to as the Shunemite woman. So she's from Shunem. Uh, other translations even call her a great woman. So this is probably a woman who has influence in her society, somebody that, that has wealth possibly. She has the means to bless Elisha, and uh, apparently she's a good cook. I don't know about you, but I, whenever I travel to any particular city, I know where I'm going to eat already, especially if I visited there. If I've never visited there, one of the things I'm going to do is go to Google and say, hey, where are the good places to eat in town? Or I'm going to find somebody who's been there and say, where can I eat? Right? So <clears throat> apparently Elisha has picked out his spot in Shunem because it says whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. So she must have been a good cook. That gets me excited. I don't know about you guys, but I, I get excited. But this woman, in particular, is not somebody who, on the surface, would have appeared to need anything. Uh, she is somebody who was, was serving. She was somebody who wanted to serve Elisha. She wanted to bless him. It's not like he came to her and said, God told me to tell you, bless me. 
It was, hey, I'm traveling through town. She found him and said, let me bless you, right? The verse goes on to say, in uh, verse 9, she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So now not only is she cooking for the guy, she's preparing a place. So she must have had some kind of financial means to do that, to prepare a place for him to add on to the house. I don't know if you have, any of you have ever done an addition or a rehab or done anything to your house, but you know it's expensive. It always costs more than you think, and it's always more work than you intended. And it always takes longer than you had intended to do it as, any, as well. So anyway, so they have the resources to bless him. They were using what they have. Now, I want to stop right here, and I want to ask you a very, very important question, because the rest of the message will hinge on this. How do you see God? Because if you see God as small, if you see God as dead, if you see God as limited or incapable, then the rest of the story won't make sense to you. That frames your whole world to have a very small God. In fact, how we see God frames the rest of our lives. If we see God as he is, big, powerful, capable, then we can live a life of greater. And that's what God has called us to. <clears throat> if we think that God is, is as big as he is, when the, the verse that this whole message is based on, is Jesus standing in front of his disciples saying, I'm going to leave, but the works that I've done, greater is what you're going to do. That's the whole thing that this is hinged on. If we really, really believe that, then we have to believe that greater is in store for us unless we're already living a life that is greater than Jesus. And so how do we get there? Now, if you believe that God is a little kid sitting on a, on a hill with a magnifying glass and you're an ant and he's just trying to catch the sun to burn you, then maybe you don't have a positive view of God. Or maybe your relationship with your father was strained and so you project that onto God and that relationship is difficult. But that's not who God is. In fact, uh, Elisha knows how big God is and so does this woman. She says, I perceive this is a man of God and I want a blessing, Right? So in turn, Elisha asked the woman, he says to her, you've gone to all this trouble for us, now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? See, Elisha knows people. He's connected. He's somebody who knows the leadership of the, of, of the, the kingdom. He's the king, the commander. Do you have any needs that you need? And the woman responds to him, nope, I don't need anything. Now, I don't know about me or you, but if somebody like Elisha were to ask me, hey, is there anything I can do for you? Is there a king I can visit for you? Is there anything I can pray for you for? Now, this is Elisha, a man of God who does miracles. I'd have been like, hang on a second, let me get my list. <laughs> that sucker, that would have continued rolling all the way down this aisle and out the back door, and I'd have been like, item number one. Let's see. So, I, but she says to him, I don't need anything at all from you. And so, Elisha, uh, Elisha says, that's fine. And he walks away from it. And then he goes to his servant. And he says to his servant, he says, what does she need? And then his servant tells him. Now, here's the thing. Elisha is being blessed by this woman and he wants to bless her. And God is for you just like that. God is our heavenly father and he wants to bless you. I remember this past Christmas, my daughter, um, both of my boys have iPods. They had had for almost a year the iPod touches, you know, with the, the nice screen and and. They had had that. They got that for their birthday. They bought it with their own money. But my daughter didn't get one. She didn't have one. And she had been wanting one, but she didn't even know she could ask for one because the boys had bought that with their own money. It's not something mom and dad got for her. And so at Christmas time, 
we boxed up, and it was my my second it was second generation. In other words, I had been using the phone for almost two years, and I got a new phone through an upgrade. And I said, you know what? I know she wants one. Instead of selling this, I'm just going to give it to her. So I boxed it up for her, and we rewrapped it. And even though it was a re-gift, you should have seen her face when she opened that present. Her eyes lit up. She was like, no way. She didn't even know she could ask for that. She didn't know how to ask for that. She didn't know she could get that for Christmas. And uh, it was just really awesome. And God is the same way he's for us in that same way where he wants to bless us. He wants to give us the things that we don't even know we can ask for. And so in, uh, in 2 Kings, we'll continue in the verse. It says, uh, verse 4, 14 through 17, it says, What can be done for her? Elisha asked. And Gehazi, his servant, said, She has no son, and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, Call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. Now, you need to understand that during this time period that for a woman to be barren or without child was a shame. It was something that they, they were shamed by in the community because if you couldn't bear a child, then you couldn't bear a lineage for your husband, right? You couldn't have children. You couldn't bear somebody that would carry on the dad's name. And so that was a shame to you. That wasn't something that was given to her a shame from God. That was a shame from culture, right? And so she bore that shame. In fact, we see other examples of that throughout the Bible. We see Hannah. Hannah was somebody that was shamed, and she was like, why have you done this to me, God? Give me a child. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was the same. She was also without child. But in both of those instances, God used that barrenness as an opportunity to bless her, to be amazing, to be greater. And so the same thing for here. This woman, the Shunammite woman, has no child. But she doesn't even want to ask Elisha for the child. She's just kind of accepted that she's never going to have it. She's become comfortable with her shame. She's assumed that identity and said, this is who I am. I'm not going to have a child, right? And so Elisha calls her. And he says to her, about this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. And watch her response. It's very interesting. The thing that she wants the most, the thing that she's always wanted the most, she says, no, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. This is a woman who doesn't believe that God wants greater for her. She's come to terms with it. She said, okay, God, I understand. I'm never going to have a kid. This is how it's going to be, and I'm just going to hang out here. But when God spoke into her life through the prophet Elisha and said, you're going to have a kid, she responds with, nope, not going to happen. When greater came knocking on her door, she said, nope, I don't, don't mess with me. Don't lie to me. Don't mislead me. And the verse continues and says, but the woman became pregnant. And the next year about that time, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her. Too often times in this time period, people would believe that their barrenness or that their sickness was a result of some sin they had committed or some sin that their parents had committed. In fact, that, that idea continues even into Jesus' time because this is Old Testament. This is way before Jesus walked the earth. And Jesus runs into a blind man. And this blind man gets healed. And when, he, when they walk away from it, the disciples look to Jesus and say, Who sinned? Him or his parents? And Jesus said, Neither. This guy has been blind for the last 30 years so that in this moment... God could be glorified or be made greater in the eyes of the people. And so this woman has been barren this entire time, waiting for a moment to God to say, for God to say, this is your opportunity to be greater. And she says, no, I can't do it. I don't want it. Don't lie to me. And, uh, and, and so she, she resists it. 
<clears throat> but God has a way of getting straight to the core fears, our deepest hurts, our hidden pains of our lives. This woman was well off. She asked for nothing. Even when the man of God said, what do you want? What do you need? A child wasn't even on her grid anymore. Greater wasn't even there for her. She was comfortable in it. She was good-hearted. She was God-fearing. But she was comfortable in her lack or in her powerlessness or in that scenario. And yet, Elisha says to her, you'll hold a son in your arms. So as you can imagine, Elisha struck a chord with this barren woman by promising that she would be with child. And Elisha just brings up that pain and that pain that most likely she tried to bury, right? And that pain that she most likely tried to overcome, he's touching on. We all have these kind of things, these moments in our lives of great disappointment, these things, of, these questions of God, why me? How come that person gets it? How come that person's got a kid? How come everybody around me's got this? Or how come this person got the promotion and I didn't? Why did you pass over me? Why, did, why am I not going to greater? We've all been there. And, and so we just become, I, I don't know, I think Pink Floyd said it best, comfortably numb, Right? I don't know what the rest of that song is about. I just know that phrase right there. All right. But God overrules our objections in favor of his greater purpose. Right. And that may mean that he answers our prayers in a different way. That may mean that he delays. And when God delays, he always delays for our benefit. Like if my kid asks me for something that he's not quite ready for, I will delay intentionally for him. If my son asks me for a gun... While a gun inherently in and of itself is not a bad thing, my 11-year-old is not ready to wield a gun. And so what I need to do in order to be able to give him that gift, because the answer is, well, sure, but not yet. I'm going to start grooming him. I'm going to prepare him. If he really wants a gun, I'm going to take him to a shooting range and let him shoot. I'm going to teach him how to handle a gun, how to clean a gun, how to have respect for a gun before I just hand him a gun. And God's the same way with us. Sometimes we'll pray for things that we're not quite ready for, right? Sometimes whenever we pray, we're a little afraid of the way that God's going to answer. Sometimes we'll pray for something. Maybe, maybe your prayer has been for a baby, and then you get a little afraid. Like, oh, wait a minute. He's going to answer my prayer. Then I'm going to be up all night long changing diapers. I'm going to be feeding baby. Never mind, Lord, I change it. I want a Coke. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And sometimes we're just afraid that God's going to answer exactly what we ask for. But God is wise. He's a father that loves us. And so he'll do whatever we need to do. And no matter our disappointments, our failures or rejection, God always desires greater for us, no matter what that looks like. Unfortunately for us, sometimes the road to greater, things are usually messy, right? There's a cost and it's, it's really, really, it will cost you something in order to get to greater. I remember uh, I was hanging out with Rocco, and his son was much younger. And, and we were sitting at his house, and Rocco had his feet up on the couch. And he was kind of blocking. He had his feet up on the ottoman or the table or something. And, and Hudson was there, and he said, Daddy, move your legs, because he wanted to get by. And, and, and Rocco said, no. And Hudson said, Daddy, move your legs. No. He probably did this 10 or 11 times. I don't know if you know Rocco's kids, but they're very persistent. And I like that about them. His, their dad is really persistent as well. And they're, 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 he's, Daddy, move your legs. He said, no, go around. No, go around. No, go around. And what's funny is Hudson got up and he went around. Instead, after like the 11th or 12th time, I mean it, like seriously, it happened that many times. No exaggeration. Rocco looks over at me and goes, if he'd asked just one more time, I'd have moved my legs. 
You know, and sometimes God is that way too. Are we willing to be persistent for the greater thing or the thing that we want, right? Or, or sometimes do we just give up? Do we just accept where we are, you know? The Shunammite woman was likely on a spiritual high as her miracle child continued to grow. It's because she gave birth to this child about a year later, right? And so this, this kid is here, and God is good, everything's going your way, or maybe you're on your way to it. Maybe for us out here, maybe God has answered your prayer, and he's opened a door, and you feel like you're on your way. Like, you know, you get approved for a house, you get approved for a certain dollar amount, you find your house, you go out to that house, and you're like getting ready to sign the papers. You go to sign the papers, and they're like, oh, no, sorry. And then it's another couple months, and then it might turn into three months, four months, five months, and that can, t- that can tend to be a little discouraging. That can be really, really tough. You felt like God opened all the doors for your miracles, right? I'm, I'm talking to somebody here. I don't know who it is, but you've, you've been waiting on it. You've been, it's always been right there within your grasp, and you just haven't been able to get it. And you can feel it. You can see it. And that's where the Shunammite woman is. She's actually got her kid. And one day, she's standing, her son is standing out in the field, and he starts complaining of his head hurting, right? Back to the story in the Old Testament. Sorry, I know I'm jumping around. It's probably the coffee's fault. I'm going to blame that. That's what I'm going to do. <clears throat> the boy starts complaining of a headache, and the servant brings the boy in, and uh, he dies in his mother's arms. So here's her miracle child, the child she wasn't even supposed to have, and he dies in her arms. And so in 2 Kings 4.20, we pick up the story, and it says, After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. Can you imagine what's going through her head right now? Can you feel what she was feeling at that moment? I mean, because you can't just read the Bible. You have to read the Bible. There's something that just happened. The woman who had been without her child, who had lived with the shame of being barren all her life, gets a miracle, an answer from God, and then it's gone. Just like that. It's gone. Can you imagine the questions she would have had in that moment? Can you imagine the pain that she was feeling at the loss of her child, at the loss of her miracle, knowing that she was going to have to go back to being who she was before, the shameful Shunammite woman with no child? And sometimes it, this is her greatest hurt turned into her greatest joy, and now it's her deepest hurt again. If you were to ask the questions, if it would happen to you, I'm sure we'd all be like, why God, why? But instead of having that attitude, instead of complaining or uh, backbiting or gossiping about the prophet, instead of allowing that, to, that seed to settle in her heart, and her to turn bitter and angry towards God, she runs straight for him. She runs straight for him. She lays the child down in Elisha's room, and she says, I'm going to the man of God. And she gets on her her donkey, and she rides to him. She's met by Elisha's servant. She says, I'm not even talking to you. I'm going by you. She walked right on by him, and she went to Elisha. And here's what happened. She falls at Elisha's feet. In 1 Kings 4.28, it says, Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Her greatest blessing had now become her greatest curse. That thing that was a blessing in your life can turn into a curse. But what do you do? What you do with that situation is what I want to hone in on. What you do with that, how you handle that, is what's important and what God cares about. He's not concerned about your circumstances. We're talking about a God who is greater. 
We're talking about a God who made this world by speaking it into existence. Do you think your circumstances are concerning to him? All he cares about is your heart and how are you going through this? How? How are you handling the loss of your miracle? How are you handling it? And she does exactly what you're supposed to do. And she goes right to Elisha. Because what you do when that happens is what God cares about. Or maybe, maybe it's that you've been praying or believing and it didn't happen what you believed for. Again, the temptation to be bitter is there. I'll give you a personal, a personal example for me. Um, when, I, when, when my pastor, Conan, first approached me and he asked me to be a pastor, he asked me to be a pastor of a multi-site church. I'll briefly explain that. C3 would be the head church and there would be a, a, another church branch off of it called C3, and it was going to be C3 Baltimore. And I said, yeah, I can do that. And it was going to be a video venue, which means that Conan would be the man preaching locally in Pickerington, and they would video pipe him in there every week. So that meant that I had to be there to love on the people, pray with the people, develop the relationships with the people, but push play so that he would preach. And I said, you know what, I can do that. And so I started on this path. I started taking classes because I needed some classes for pastoring. I started, I spent a year doing that. Six months after I said yes to this, I quit my job. And that, which led to another six months of me staying at that job. But in that job, I was taking days off during the week, losing finances, investing into this job that I was going to have, this, this opportunity that I felt God had called me to, this thing that was greater. And I spent the next six months investing in that job. And then I quit my job completely. And I left. And when I'm standing out there on my own, I'm like Peter on the waves. I'm like, I'm here, Jesus. And then I walk into a meeting. And he goes, hey, we're not going to do that multi-site thing anymore. And the miracle and the thing that I felt like God had called me to was gone. And in that moment, the temptation to be bitter was there. In that moment, the temptation to be angry at God And to be offended was there. How dare you? Look at what I've done. I've turned my family and my life upside down. I've given all to this. I didn't ask for this. You called me to it and you're taking it away? It could have been like that. Instead, I bowed my head. I cried some tears. I did. I was broken. Finish the story. I'm going to put it on pause for just a second. I know you hate that. But I'll come back to it in just a second. Because that's what happens here in the story. She goes to him, to the man of God, which is what my wife and I did. And the man of God gives his staff to, to his servant and says, go put it on the boy's face. So his servant runs on ahead of him. And he and the Shunammite woman, she's not leaving Elisha. She knows that he's the man of God. She's not leaving him. And they kind of walk on back. So the servant gets there, lays the staff on the boy's face, the dead boy's face, and he doesn't get up. And the servant comes back, meets Elisha and the woman on their way back. And he says, no go, boss. It's not working. So Elisha gets to the house, goes up to the room. This is really, really cool. I mean, it's in your Bible. I can't make this stuff up, okay? And he lays on the top of the boy, face to face, nose to nose. He spends time praying in the room. And he lays on the boy, face to face, nose to nose. Nothing happens. He does it again. And the second time he lays on him, face to face, nose to nose, I would probably smother a child if I laid on him like that. I don't know how this man did this, but he did it, okay? If you get the visual, you understand what I'm saying. Not only is your child dead, but he's broken. He's worse, okay? (laughs) But the kid starts to sneeze. He sneezes seven times, and he comes back to life. And Elisha returns the boy to his mother, and all is well. 
I'm here to tell you this. That if God is the one that promised it, he is the only one that can resurrect it. He is the only one who can take care of that. If you've lost your miracle, or maybe you've been leading up to greater like I was. You've poured in, you've poured in, you've poured in, and you've hit a wall that you can't seem to get around. Maybe it's, maybe it's something in your life you've tried to quit doing, or maybe you've tried to do. Maybe it's, it's a promotion at your job, or maybe it's something you've tried to start a business, or you've tried to restore a relationship, whatever that may be, and you've hit a wall. Maybe it's an addiction that you have tried to break in your life, whatever that is. The other side of the wall is greater, and you're stuck, whatever that is. If God has given you that dream, if God has called you to it, if he said you can be free, If he said you can be healed, then you just got to get through that wall and God will get you there. Maybe some of us feel that we've taken that step of faith only to, to, to fall down while doing it. And you feel like you trusted God or maybe even you saw him move, but now you feel let down. You feel disappointed in God. You're tempted just like I was to be angry, to be bitter. But the Shunammite didn't waste her time grieving over an unfulfilled promise from God. She immediately appealed to her higher authority. See, in that time, God dwelt in a temple. His spirit dwelt in a temple behind a veil, right? And so you had to go to a man of God in order to have a prayer request brought before God. You had to have a priest or a prophet who could do that for you. And so that's exactly what she did. But for us, instead of going to our friend and complaining about it, Instead of gossiping about it or getting on your Facebook and posting that I can't believe this happened to me, instead of doing that, go directly to God. You and I have the ability. See, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was rent in the temple. Like literally from top to bottom, it was ripped. And the spirit of God now dwells wherever he wants to because Jesus, because of Jesus' sacrifice. That was his gift to us. He said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you the spirit. He's everywhere. And that means you can pray to God yourself. You don't need me. You don't need another man of God. You alone can pray. And so God has called us to do that and do exactly what the Shunammite woman did, right? We have direct access to God. And so this woman goes directly to Elisha. And that happens. It's almost like, okay, Buckeye season's getting ready to come up. OH? Thank you. Love you people. Do. One of my favorite things is the, is the review right? I love that they do this now. There's a play, and for years you watch it and go, oh, come on, ref, you don't know what you're talking about, and that would just be that. An entire season or, or a, a tournament could be hinged on one play in a football game, right? But now you can challenge a call on the field. So down on the field, a ref makes a call, and there's a little man high up. You get the symbolism here? Little man high up who reviews the play and says, upon further review, you do have a touchdown, In other words, what was declared down on the field can get reversed. And that's what happens in the life of the Shunammite woman. That's the greater that God has called us to. Whatever that dream is for you, whatever that thing that God has called you to, whatever is beyond that wall that you have hit, God will get you there. Upon further review, it doesn't matter what anybody has said, it is your time. It is your time to be greater. A lot of times for us, when we hit that wall, that that represents suffering for us. But I have to tell you that suffering on the road to greater is not a detour. It's just a landmark. It means you're not going to stay there. It's a great thing. We've talked about suffering many times here 
in this room that suffering is not such a bad thing. There's a bad thing. There's going to be times of disappointment. There's going to be times of grief. There's going to be times of pain. But God will not let your faith, your actions, your pain, none of it. He won't let any of it be wasted. In James 1, 2 through 3, it says, Consider it pure joy. If you've got this down to a science, I need to talk to you, by the way. This is what this verse says. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brethren and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In other words, God's got purpose in everything. He's got purpose in your pain. And God will not allow that to be wasted. He uses it to build you up, to make you stronger. When greater is on the other side of that wall, the pain of hitting that wall will be used for something. And so God wants to move in your life and move to greater. And so let me ask you a question. What objections, like the Shunammites' objections, have become your responses in life? What disappointments, either from your friends, your loved ones, or your insecurities, hinder you from greater? Some of us are afraid to ask God for these things because of that fear, right? My, you know, my kids, again... Uh, yeah, my kids ask for things they're not ready for all the time. I guess I got ahead in my sermon, and that's okay. Here, let me move my notes up a little bit. <laughs> I told you that already. <laughs> you can't have resurrection without death, right? Some of you feel like your dreams have died, or your greater the thing God has called you to has died. But you can't have the glory of the resurrection without the death of something. In the Shunammite's case, her son dies. Her dream, her goal, her thing that she wanted, the thing that would remove the shame, died. And God brought it back and was glorified in her life and was made greater in her life. For me, when I was told I wouldn't be a multi-site pastor anymore, that shot my, the, the dream that shot all the work, that shot everything down. And my wife and I looked at each other and we prayed. And we cried. And we went to church the next Sunday and we stood in service and we cried. We were like, God, we don't understand. But what had been happening over the last few months before I was told I wouldn't be a multi-site pastor is the Holy Spirit had been speaking to my heart and using other people to speak to me as well about being a pastor of my own church and doing a church plant myself. And I kept saying, no, that's just my ego. That's, that's a dream, but I'm going to shelf that. That's not for right now. And I kept setting that aside. And people would come up to me. Listen, dude, I think you're supposed to pastor a church. I don't think it's supposed to be this multi-site thing. And I was like, no, no, no. I've committed to Conan, and I'm not going to back out on that. That's my commitment. I'm going to do that. This is what God's asked me to do. Trusting my pastor. And, and the moment he told me that I was no longer going to be the multi-site pastor, the dream, the path that I was on, everything died. He looked at me and said, but I know that since you're not going to do this multi-site, you're going to be your own pastor. You're going to pastor your own church and plant one, aren't you? And before I could stop it, I said, yep, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And, you know, I was like, oh, come back, come back, because the pain of, of losing a dream was already there. And here I am launching another one, like, no, come back. And my wife and I, we went home and we prayed over it. And, uh, well, yeah, I think you know how that story ends. Because you're sitting in my church. God birthed simple church. The dream died. 
in a quick meeting that happened like that. Everything I'd been working for, everything I felt like God had called me to was gone. But he resurrected it immediately in simple churches here now. And we're making an impact in this city. And God is using all kinds of opportunities to make Jesus famous here. But he could not have done that if I'd have stayed as a multi-site pastor. And the temptation, again, was there to be bitter, to be angry. But in all of it, I see the grace of God. I see God at work. Do you know why? Because if you'd asked me if I was going to be a pastor of a church two years ago, when Conan asked me to be a full pastor to plant my own church, I'd have spit in his face and said, no way. But it's the grace and the mercy of a God who loves me and knows better for me that knew I needed to commit to something smaller in order to get to something greater. I needed to commit to going to a church every week and push and play on a button and hearing a pastor for him to be able to say, you can do greater, you can have greater a year later. And so I'm thankful I'm thankful that I went through that process. Did I enjoy the pain? Absolutely not. Did I enjoy the hurt that I, that I endured? Absolutely not. But God gave me something greater out of all of it. And so today my encouragement to you is that wherever you're at, the road to greater can be messy and difficult. But just know that God will not waste your prayers, your pain, or your faith. I want to encourage you with that today. Continue to pray. It's like God is taking all of your prayers and storing them up and holding on to them for a moment in which he will be glorified. Amen? I want to pray for you. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for all those that are here today. Lord, I pray that if there are people in this room today that don't know you, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them. That you would reveal yourself to them in powerful ways, God. Lord, that you would touch their lives and that they would encounter your love, God, because I know that when they encounter your love, when they encounter your power, that they'll never be the same, God. They'll never be the same. And so I ask, God, for that encounter today. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead their hearts, Father. Lead them into repentance. Lead them into relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, for all those that are here today. Father, for even for myself, Lord, that as we struggle with what greater is, <coughs> as we struggle with what you've called us to, as we've, we've had the temptation, Lord, as dreams have died and as doors have closed, as opportunities have been removed, as what you've called us to, we felt like it's not there anymore. We've been told we can't do it. Lord, I pray for those that are here. I pray encouragement for them, Lord. I pray, God, that they would, they would have peace in the midst of a trial and the peace in the midst of their lack, in the midst of their pain. Knowing, God, that you work all things for their benefit and that you as a heavenly father love them and that you intend greater for us greater not worse so i pray holy spirit that you would be with us for those of us that allowed have allowed attitudes to creep in i pray that you would convict us lead us into repentance restore us and help us live lives that are greater I ask these things in Jesus' name, God. I, I, the, the prayer that I've even prayed is not even living up to your glory, is not even living up to what you can do in our lives. God, be greater in our lives. Show us how to live, not just today, not just give us inspiration today. Give us greater all week long. 
Give us greater that we can share with our friends and our family and our co-workers. Give us greater, Lord. And let us be encouraged to know that our prayers, our faith, and our pain is not wasted. That you intend to use all of it to bless us and to bless others. I ask it in Jesus' name, God, thanking you. Thanking you always. Amen. If you need prayer,